1: Actress, author Marina Anderson, uh, the former wife of the late Hollywood star David Carradine, uh, will be joining us. June 3rd marks the 9th anniversary. June 3rd, that's today. The uh, the 9th anniversary of uh, David's mysterious death in a Bangkok hotel uh, room. Uh, Carradine, of course, the star of Kung Fu. I used to love that TV show. Uh, back in the early 70s, 72 to 75, and, and of course he had a string of movies including uh, Kill Bill, and uh, uh, he and Marina were married for nearly four years beginning in 1998, and she will be here, Marina Anderson, in the first hour along with psychic Michael Bodine, author of Growing Up Psychic, From Skeptic to Believer, uh, and they will talk about uh, David's death. Nick Redfern is back with us again tonight, this morning, second hour, Nick has a brand new book out as of June 5th called The Black Diary, Men in Black, Women in Black, black Black-Eyed Kids, and Dangerous Books. Uh, We are coming up on the 50th anniversary of Bobby Kennedy's assassination, hard to imagine, uh, just a couple of days away. And I was reading recently where Robert Kennedy Jr., who is now 64, he was just a kid. 14 years old when his father was gunned down at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. And Bobby Jr. went to visit Sirhan Sirhan at the state prison just outside of San Diego recently. He met with him for three hours. And Robert now supports the call for a, for reinvestigating the assassination, which is being led by Paul Schrade. Uh, who was also there that night at the Ambassador. He was walking behind Bobby Kennedy and was also hit with a bullet. He was hit in the head, uh, but survived. Uh, so next week, we're going to move things around a little bit. We'll, uh, we'll dedicate an hour next week to the RFK 50th anniversary. Now, let me introduce the boys in the band on the Flying V. Gibson guitar, technical producer, my fine rockabilly friend, Ian Robertson on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and dials, and Ian has just returned from Nashville uh, with his uh, with his band, uh, the Grease Sparks. Howdy, yep. And uh, so, hey, what is happening with that album? You were in Los Angeles. It's out. It's out. It's out. It's out. Wild Records. It's out. Wild Records. That's the label, yep. Okay, this was the one that you recorded in Los Angeles. Yep, in December. And what's the album called? It's self-titled, Grease Marks. Grease Marks. All right. It's always the first album is self-titled. Yeah. And then the second one will be called Second Helping or yeah. something like that, right? <laughs> so, how do people get the the album? Uh, you can go to GreaseMarks.com and you can find it through there. GreaseMarks.com. Yeah. How many how many tracks on the album? I think fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Is it vinyl? Not yet. You you will be releasing on vinyl. Hopefully, though. yes. Excellent. Yeah. Limited pressing too, so get the CDs while you can. Excellent. Congratulations, buddy. We're Thank so you. proud of you. One day he'll move away and forget us all. Uh and I hope that happens. When you go <laughs> forget us. Just keep going, my friend. Uh in studio with me on the Rickenbacker guitar and a oca- bass guitar and occasionally the Theremin, story producer Albert Venzel, and on the Hammond B3, live stream producer Ryan White. All right. David Carradine uh, was an American actor, martial artist, noted again for his leading role as a peace-loving Shaolin monk Kwai monk, uh, Chang Kane in the TV series Kung Fu. He was also known for playing Frankenstein in Death Race 2000 back in 1975 and Bill in both Kill Bill films. On June the third, two thousand and nine, nine years ago, he was found dead in a closet in his hotel room in Bangkok, Thailand, due to what was officially ruled a fatal autoerotic asphyxiation accident. Although I believe neither of my guests tonight believe that's what really happened. Marina Anderson is an established actress, published author. Uh, David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado, is uh, a new edition is out. She's a publicist, a personal manager. Uh, It's called the Media Hound PR. She's a freelance writer specializing in entertainment. And uh, she was, as I say, the wife and personal manager of uh, David's, responsible for really resurrecting his career, which culminated in the Quentin Tarantino hit film Kill Bill. Uh, Her her diverse roles include starring guest and supporting credits in TV, feature films, webisodes, and national commercials such as Bones, opposite Emily Deschanel and David uh, born as uh, The Mentalist opposite Robin Tooney, Dexter opposite Jennifer Carpenter, Law and Order L.A., uh, Seinfeld, Emmy-nominated web series Sophie Chase, Desperate Housewives, uh, also she was in Forever Night, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, which was a recurring role opposite uh, David, Largo Winch, and CBS's highly rated series Scales of Justice, Marina Anderson. Welcome back to The Hi. Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? Well, it takes me like half the show just to read your wonderful credits.
2: <laughs> That's so cute.
1: <laughs> Hard to believe nine. It's been a while
2: since we've talked.
1: It has. It has. We're always on email back and forth. Uh, yes. Nine years. My word. Um, let, me, uh, let me first introduce, uh, let's get Michael in here, Michael Bodine, a professional psychic for more than 35 years, uh, giving readings, performing ghost bustings, speaking at events and conventions, and his clients range from celebrities like Melanie Griffith and Gary Busey uh, to, finan- to financiers and dog walkers, and of course the author of Growing Up Psychic, From Skeptic to Believer, which is available at Amazon, Michael Bodine, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, how are you?
0: I'm um, great. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure.
0: Um, the burst of energy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Love to hear it. So, um, Marina, um, let's first of all just briefly your relationship with David. Obviously, you know we, we all know a very deeply uh, troubled individual, very immensely talented individual. How much of 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 that did you know uh, about David? before you met before you were married to him you know obviously there was some substance abuse and there was a you know some violence around this gentleman
2: Um, you know you you hear things and I don't I'm always kind of a skeptic you you know I want to learn first hand I I learned pretty quickly about his uh, uh, other personality shall we say Um, but um, you know I was just so much in love with the guy Um, I didn't let it deter me. I, I was on a mission, and um, I wanted to see him um, back on track with his career because I thought he was such an incredibly talented genius, and um, I just um, I just kind of tunnel visioned on what the mission was, and um, I kind of lo- got lost in, in the shuffle. I, I have to add this. I've known Michael since 1988, and he has been like a constant... Um, uh, go-to counselor for me and dear friend and so when David passed away of course I called Michael about it and um, uh, he, I wrote about him in my book Michael as to what he said So, um, and, and to backtrack a little bit um, to get through those uh, hard times with David I, I would consistently call Michael for advice and insight and, of which he was uh, enormously uh, helpful with
1: this And this is while, while you were still married to David?
2: Yes. Before David, during David, and after David. Right.
1: All right. And you managed, <laughs> while you were with David, he was sober for the most part?
2: When I first met David, no. He was a quart and a half of vodka a day. He was pretty public about it. Um, when we moved back to L.A. in 1996, it was really clear to him that he had to get sober to get uh, his career going again. And that's when I took over as his manager and... Publicist and, and uh, went on the warpath to accomplish that. I knew part of that mission was also to help me because my reputation kind of went in, I can't say the toilet, but um, it, it did a little uh, damage. I had to do damage control on my own career because of, of people knowing that I was involved with David. It was not a good situation. So um, I, I wanted to do right by him, but also at the same time... Um, I, I was afraid of what it was doing to my own career. And, um, and, and, but during the six years, we did get back on track and, uh, he did get sober and he stayed sober for those six years. However, um, I had to couch that with, um, when I wrote the book, I consulted with Dr. Drew Pinsky and, uh, we concluded, or I concluded, that, um, David was evidently on, uh, opiates to help smooth out that, um, Uh, getting off of the alcohol, and I didn't know that. I I was totally clueless, and um, it was a a very interesting revelation to me.
1: (laughs) And David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado, a new edition, is out now, available?
2: Yes. Um, The new edition, I did more research on his um, uh, demise, and uh, there's new stories in there and, and some new pictures, and so I updated it. Um, because I, I uh, investigated his stuff myself
1: yes let's uh, and Michael I will I, I'll get you in here in a moment I, but I want no to, worries, we're, no we're coming up on a break here but uh, let's just start this conversation now and then we'll continue after the break marina just take us back to how did you find out about uh, first of all what was David doing in Bangkok in 2009
2: uh, he was doing a film uh, I believe it was called Stretch, and um, so he was in the middle of uh, filming when this all happened.
1: They found him in his uh, in, in the closet in his hotel room. And again, the official cause was autoerotic asphyxiation. But obviously you have very serious reasons to doubt that. Michael Bodine, a psychic, will join us as well after the break. Marina Anderson, actress, author, publicist, personal manager. And uh, as I say, the former wife of actor David Carradine will discuss his death when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Welcome back. Marina Anderson, actress, former wife of the late David Carradine. We're discussing his passing. It was nine years ago, found in a hotel room in Bangkok where he was uh, filming. Uh, Michael Bodine is a psychic, the author of "Growing Up Psychic: From Skeptic to Believer," and has known Marina uh, for, I guess, thirty years. Uh, a long time. Long time. Yes, very long time. So, Marina, when were you first skeptical of the uh, the, the official cause of death, which was again, it was autoerotic asphyxiation?
2: Uh, the first thing that I saw online. I mean, I got a call from a mutual friend of ours, and I went online, and I went, no, 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 that's the basic scenario was. I felt accurate because of sexual preferences, but not auto-erotic, which means by oneself. He was never one to fly solo, shall we say. So that did not ring true to me. So I I felt something was wrong and gut feeling intuitively. I knew something was not right.
1: That's when I called Michael. (laughs) All right, Michael, how do you approach a, a situation like this? How do you, as a psychic, attempt to investigate a murder scene?
0: Well, you know, that's a good question. Gosh, you know, a long time ago, my sister and I, we used to to work with the cops just to find dead bodies with socks because, you know, when you find a body, it's kind of depressing. So we stopped doing it. But this is going to sound a little odd, but when you do that kind of stuff, you try to tap into the person. You try to tap into the person's soul and figure out what's going on and what their attitude's like and what their thinking is. And um, a lot of times when we were looking for these bodies, the soul would, tell us where it was and the circumstances in which it, it died. And, um, and so that's why we were able to find it because they would, it would be like, you know, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting colder kind of thing when you, we would be driving, you're looking in a certain area. And, um, and it, it's the same kind of thing when, when something like this comes up, you, you just sort of check into the soul and yeah. Um, you try and get an idea of what was going on, you know, what was really going on.
1: And, um, are you able to do you remote view? Like, would you remote view this the actual crime scene?
0: Yeah, you can. It's, yeah, you can. I mean, I I, I have. Um, yeah, it's it's like watching a movie. You know, it, it's like they they show you this. Um, you you concentrate on the person's name, and then all of a sudden you get all this stuff, and and then it's like they they show you this movie, and it's it's kind of an odd thing, but. Um, and it happens really fast. Like, you get all this information. It's like, you know, if you ever, uh, um, if you get a certain smell and it reminds you of something, like when you were a kid or, yes. or, you know, certain things, like, and all these memories rush in, and, and you can kind of feel all that stuff, and it only takes a sec. It's the same kind of thing with this, except it's a little bit more um, detailed. You just you just get more stuff. And um, But it's like you're there, and you can you can smell it. You can almost feel it, and it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, but it's, um, it happens so fast, you know, it just happens really quick. And you know what? Honestly, I don't remember what I said about the Davis yeah. stuff. Um,
1: <laughs> does he appear to you? Do you, do you say, you know, do you reach out to him and, and ask yeah, he, for information? Yeah, you can
0: feel him. You can feel his anger and his frustration and his confusion. And, you know, he was not, this was not something that he wanted to do. It wasn't like, it was like he was pissed, like, oh man what the hell was that? You know, what was I, you know, what was that? And, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like it, um, it wasn't something like you could tell that it was intentional or something that he was planning on doing. Um, it, it was more like, cause I, I knew David a little bit and, um, and I think, I think he was embarrassed. I think he was like, uh, geez of all things to do and of all places, you know, this is, um, it it was like, this is. It, it just it, something didn't feel right with the whole thing, um. So yeah, I you know I don't remember the specifics of it because, I like you said, it was like nine years ago. But it was, it, it, it was around. It was a it was like that feeling of something,
2: um, that sense like something's not. That is right. what you said. You said I remember you distinctly saying he is pissed.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well I know he I yeah. know he
2: was pissed, and you can tell like
0: when people. Um but, you know, sometimes when people pass and it's kind of a shock, it's like they look at themselves going, holy crap, what the heck happened? And um, and then they start to realize and put it all together, and it's like, oh, man. And I think he, uh, and I remember thinking that, or, re- or feeling just how pissed he was, how embarrassed he was, how, like, of all the things, you know, this is, it's almost like poetic justice, like, oh, great, you know. Right. Hancock. Um, that
1: kind of thing. Marina, at the uh, time of his death, I mean, what was his state? I mean, I don't know how, how often you had communicated with him since when, since you were divorced, but what, do you know was he in a good place mentally, emotionally?
2: Um, I was not in contact with him we I, I, I uh, sh- shut the door to him uh, quite a while before that when he he turned his back on helping my colleague Lulu out. Um, but I do know that he was hoping that Kill Bill would lead to more A-list films, and it never did. I know he was incredibly disappointed that he wasn't working with the directors that he wanted, uh, and that wouldn't have changed. So, um, but on, on the you know the, the other side of the coin is he was always happy when he was working. Um, but I do not believe he was working on the level of projects that he was really hoping Kill Bill would lead to for him. So in that sense, I don't believe that he was truly happy. And from other reports and uh, mutual friends, as well as strangers that I would talk to bump into, I don't, I don't believe he was really a happy person.
1: Was he? Which was is was sad. Yes, of yeah. course. Was he drinking again? Was he taking drugs?
2: Yeah, he he was drinking. He he went back to the alcohol. Um, yeah, and I I, I I ran into him, you know, socially a couple times. And I could I could smell it. And I, I could I could tell I could tell in interviews how his pacing was and talking. I, yeah, he was definitely um, drinking.
1: Yeah. And now he was in his early seventies. Did he need to keep working financially, or was it just something that he loved to do?
2: Well, I can't comment after we divorced. But yes, I believe that he would have to keep working. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Michael was um, sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Marina.
2: No, 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 it's it's uh, just, it, it's in my book. I mean, the, the, he owed the IRS a lot of money, and um, so yeah, he had to get himself uh, clear. So he he had to work. Yeah,
1: Michael, when you have a, a an individual who has such a strong uh, personality, yeah, like a David Carradine, uh, are they the same? Are they the, do they exhibit the sort of the same character traits in death or on the other side as they do in life? I mean, is, when he comes through, is he is he the same as he was in life?
0: Well, you know, it's funny it, it, um, when people the when people pass, it's such a shock. I think to, to realize that they're not really dead. You know, I think. Um, some of them aren't sure if just if, if they're going to die, or some of them don't know, or some of them I think just think that they're going to just you know be asleep for the rest of their you know they're just going to black out. And and I think it's really a shock for some people, and it definitely seemed like a shock for him. Like, uh oh, you know, the, <laughs> I'm still alive. And it was, and some of the stuff that he did, you know, he probably felt like, oh man, I might have to um, answer for some of this stuff. So I think he was a little bit. Uh, in shock and a little panicked and a little, um, like, Oh man, now what do I do? <laughs> kind of thing. Cause you know, and that happens a lot. Some people are more uh, comfortable with it, but some people really have a hard time with it. And, and he definitely did. I think he was pissed, but I think he was trying to be pissed because he didn't want to think about the reality of what was going on. You know, it was like, it was easier for him to be mad than to realize that he's not dead. And, and now he's got to figure out what to do next. And, um, so I think for him, I, it, you know that arrogance and a lot of that uh, ego that people have here really disappears quick when you when you pass because everything looks really different, you know, and everything uh, has such a finality, you know, as far as the physical body and and the things that they couldn't do and the things that they can't do and the reality of all that and and just who they are and how they how it really doesn't matter, you know, if they were famous if they were rich or anything like that. It's just like. You know, it was all about learning and what they learn. And, you know, it's just, it it freaks some people out. And, um, and some people are, like I said, some people are okay with it. But he was definitely, um, not okay with the situation, you know. Sure. I mean, a
1: a lot of karma, a lot of baggage there, obviously. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah. And, you know, it scares me sometimes thinking about it, you know, all the baggage that I've carried through the years. And I think, oh, man, how am I going (laughs) to, how am I going to rectify all that? But, um, yeah, he was definitely, he was definitely freaked.
1: Marina, Marina uh, what, tell me about your investigation, your investigation of David's death. Did you go to Bangkok? Did you, I mean, how did you pick up the trail and, and what did you find?
2: No, I didn't. I, I read an article um, um, by, I'm forgetting his name, Mark, Mark Ebert. Um, Gotta have to look up his name, sorry. But he, it was an article for Maxim magazine. <clears throat> and uh, he went to Bangkok to investigate the whole thing. And I, I contacted him afterwards, and he did not believe that David, um, uh, died by auto asphyxiation in the closet. The closet wouldn't have held anybody. It it was too, you know, weak of a thing. And that it was staged. And that, that gut feeling fit for me. I, I, cause that's what I believe, that it was a staged situation. and so what i did is i i um um i called the um uh, thailand police and various leads that i w- i would i'd spent a lot of time calling thailand and um eventually i did get a copy of the autopsy report from thailand and um and i called the uh, the coroner there and spoke with her and uh it was just it was a really bizarre position to be in i mean you know, i had a roll of toilet paper on my desk cuz i went through boxes of kleenex i was just Sobbing all the time, um, it, it, and it, in the autopsy report, it it, it did not um, ring true to autoerotic asphyx- asphyxiation, and um, um, I, I just a I new uh, you know it would, whether it was a robbery intent or what it, was, it was with intent. So uh, and then I called the coroner here in L.A., compared notes, and it all pointed to um, uh, from that um, with intent to kill whoever was with david um uh not that they had motive to to rob him per se but um it it went beyond the um the act of a, a sexual um gratification of the situation of what david was into which was strangulation and um it went far beyond that um it was you know a the marks around his neck and things like that. He went far beyond what that act called for to um, to, to get on pardon, my language, but to get off from the situation.
1: Right, right. So, so um, what yeah. were, were personal effects missing? Was his wallet missing? Was jewelry missing? Uh,
2: there was a source that uh, confided in me. They said that nothing was missing, but um, I'm going by that one source. There was a watch, uh, Patek Philippe. Watch, which was really expensive, um, it was not on him in the autopsy pictures. Um, so I don't know uh, if he took it off or that ended up. Um, I, have, I don't know. So um, that's all kind of in limbo to me. Um, whether that was the motive or not, um, I, I still believe that he was um, um, purposely um, killed.
1: And what was it in the autopsy that led you to, you, you to believe that he was he was murdered?
2: Uh, from the, the strangulation marks, there was um, a certain bone in the neck that was broken, and according to the coroner here in L.A., that does not happen unless you intend to kill a person with that kind of force.
1: Right. Was he seen? Was there a closed-circuit camera video of showing him in the, in, in the hotel elevator? <laughs> the surveillance uh, elevator?
2: footage was going to be sent to the... Um, I think it was Michael Bodden here or or the or the family was supposed to be sent by uh, or to the attorney probably. And um according when I spoke with the Thailand police, uh, they said um no that was being held back and then, you know, a long time went by and um I kept checking and they said finally they said no the um the the footage will not be released, the file is closed permanently.
1: Sounds like a cover up.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was the Thailand part, according to these sources, that came to me. It happened on uh, this end that they didn't want whatever was on the footage to be revealed, whatever that motivation was, I don't know.
1: So there would have been, um, uh, presumably, there would have been footage of security, footage of him in the elevator going up to the hotel with this other person.
2: I would think, I don't actually know, but there was a camera, I think, uh, you know, in the hallway to the room, But then again, I was told that there was another access to the room via a window to like an adjoining room. So that wasn't the only access to the room is what I was told.
1: And Michael, when you're reaching out to David from the other side, what images is he showing you? Where is he leading you?
0: Well, the stuff that I got was about his shock at the whole thing. It it gave me pause because if he was doing that himself, he probably wouldn't have been as shocked because he probably would have felt even more like, oh, you know, I, I screwed up and uh oh, you know, that kind of thing. But it seemed more like he was pissed and and shocked and the sense that I got was he just didn't know how to rectify it. Like it was out of his control kind of thing. He didn't point to a person or he didn't say this person did it or that person did it and sometimes they do that they can be really clear. But when I felt him, he was in that phase of going, oh man, you know, it just like shocked. And so it just gave me the sense that maybe there was something else going on there than just what was being said. And, you know, I had talked to David about the auto situation thing before a long time ago. And because he said that was something that he was, had talked about. And I made the comment that I thought it was, you know, kind of scary in the whole, you know, dangerous thing. And he just kind of brushed it off. And so when I saw him i was expecting him to say yeah you're right or yeah boy i really screwed up this time but it wasn't like that all right michael i've
1: got to take a time out hold on marina anderson michael bodine back with more of the conspiracy show stay with us don't be afraid the conspiracy show with richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in the next hour, Nick Redfern is uh, back with a brand new book coming out in just a couple days, The Black Diary. And once again, he delves into men in black, women in black. This is kind of a um, a new wrinkle in this story I wasn't aware of. That's uh, all coming up just after the top of the hour, Nick Redfern. Right now, Marina Anderson, actress, author, the former wife of the late David Carradine, who's passing is uh, nine years ago this very day in Bangkok under very mysterious circumstances uh, Michael Bodine a psychic is uh, with us up with us as well the author of growing up psychic marina what was it you wanted to find out from Michael when you sort of put him on this case what did you want to know specifically from him
2: just really what the hell happened <laughs> you know if you could get a hit on anybody in the room um you know what was he thinking medically what i learned is that when somebody's on opiate it changes the brain chemistry so it keeps upping the ante on what excitement level to gratify keeps getting higher and higher and higher and they need more and more more kind of a situation so you know we're i was talking to michael spiritually in a way of what david might have been going through or thinking or something and I think Michael, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you mentioned something like, well, he knowingly put himself in a bad position. And so
1: therefore, yeah.
2: in a way that's kind of committing suicide in a way, but it wasn't because there was another person involved and it went beyond. Yeah. So. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it did feel like there was somebody else there because
0: the way he was kind of acting was he was thinking that that other person was going to help him or fix the situation before it got to bed, like I said, he was just like in shock. And I think part of that was because I think he was thinking the other person was going to help. And it didn't feel like he was alone and he was more pissed that whoever was there wasn't more of a help or didn't, you know, like you have a safe word or something. It's like, you know, they didn't react when he needed them to react. But there was like, what he was saying there, you know, he did put himself in that situation and David, you know, was kind of like that, you know, he's just,
2: yeah. Kid, he just, he liked to do crazy stuff. And walking on the wild side, you know, that was he, David. He, he pushed the envelope a lot. So you
1: know? it may not have been murdered then. It may have been an accident and then they tried to cover it up. Is that the idea? Right.
0: That's what felt to me. It, it felt like there was another person there that was maybe helping them or doing stuff with them. And then it went bad and they just freaked out and they, they kind of set it up. I think that people just wanted to kind of... Wrap it up in a bow and, and take care of it, as opposed to really dig into it because they don't think they really had anything, or if they did, it wasn't strong enough, or whatever. But I know that David felt like it wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, obviously, I didn't, he didn't want to die, but I mean, it wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. And he was—I think he, he always felt that he was smarter than most of the people in the room, and I think he thought that this was one of those times where he thought he had it all covered, and he didn't. And it, it seemed like that's one of the reasons why I am so pissed.
1: Why wouldn't he reveal the person in the room with him? It was, is he trying to protect that person, do you suppose?
0: You know, it's funny. It's like sometimes there's this whole big picture thing, and sometimes they can. I do a lot of ghost bustings, and we, I've done a lot of places where people were murdered. And the, the person will come and say, it's so-and-so, and this is what happened. But they're concentrating on that so much that, that you can really clearly hear it. I think in this case, when I was talking to David, there was so many things going on, and it was like he was trying to figure out, okay, what the hell happened with this and that, and this and why this person not help. And it was almost like that person was sort of an afterthought. It was like they were there, but it wasn't. It wasn't entirely there. It was his help, but maybe they could have helped. And so it was like one of those conversations. It wasn't like he was like when I do these slices, and the person was murdered, but very clear. you are know, very clear on what, why the person did it who they were, what they looked like, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in this case, it wasn't like that. He was just really shocked. And, he, and that, that person was there, but they, they were sort of secondary, because as he had in had mind, he should have had all the pieces covered. So I don't know that he felt... I think he felt like they were responsible in a way, but he felt even more responsible, because he should have had it covered. And and they did show me it was a picture of a woman. Um, uh, she was Asian. You know, she was scared, and I think he was feeling very confident about things, and it's just, I don't know, I don't know that
1: he's a Well, if, her. if there was a, a woman in the room with him, and, she, and he was accidentally strangled during this act, she must have had help, don't you think, Marina, getting him into the closet? I mean, there, she must have had help. Oh, God,
2: yeah, I'd say it was, what, six two, six three. Exactly. I mean, he was not, a, you know, a fragile little thing. <laughs> um, it would t- definitely have to take more than one person to to stage that, yeah definitely
1: so she must have called for for help then
2: unless there were it was more than one person in the room which is what i believe There was, it disappeared from the press there was um said a mysterious footprint on the bed and um that disappeared from the internet pretty quickly um um it was you know the the informant uh, that talked to me um said so the, the person that strangled david was behind him on the bed so that would explain the footprint um, ah, on the bed
1: all right more than um, more than one person and there involved. was
2: more than more than more than two people in the room yeah
1: all right we'll take another time out back with marina anderson and michael bodine right here on the conspiracy show don't go away <laughs> marina anderson former wife of Actor David Carradine, it is the ninth anniversary of his death back in Bangkok in his hotel room. And Michael Bodine, a psychic, author of Growing Up Psychic from Skeptic to Skeptic to Believer. Marina, the other individuals involved, were they seen perhaps by crew members or co-stars on this film that he was working on? Did you approach them? Did they have any information?
2: I did not approach them, no. I had a couple people who uh, had connections and one person who was very closely connected with the production and the people involved, but then again, I would bump into strangers and talk. Oh, yeah, I, I met David. You know, months before he went over to Thailand, and he, this is a fellow who worked at a restaurant in Chatsworth. He said, "Yeah, David came in with these six young Asian girls. They couldn't have been more than like 16 or something." I went, "What?" And his friend waited on them. And, you know, Chatsworth, it's a porn capital of Southern California. And so you're like, well, what was he doing with six young Asian girls, you know, a month before he goes to Thailand? There was still a lot of animosity towards David of, quote, stealing the role from Bruce Lee. There's a lot of different scenarios and theories that that came to me that I put in the book of no matter who was in that room, that, that could have been tied to these various theories of why if he was murdered, which I believe he was murdered, um, why that happened. Um, One person said uh, one of the people involved was a a relative of a close, uh, of a high government official, and then therefore they, um, you know, obviously covered it up and there was a lapse in time that was reported in the press and that would justify that. I mean, it was very strange and weird to, come up against these scenarios of what he might have been involved in. Um, let alone, David did carry a lot of cash on him. He's on location. He would he would not be, you know, using his credit card. So um, they, the theory of robbery could, you know, still come into play. Um, and just the fact that he was a famous rich American, you know, um, who knows? Um, all I know is that I believe he was not alone, and I believe it was intentional. Um I just don't get the what's you know in those autopy reports and and from those pictures um, by something that was um, supposed to be an enjoyable uh, sort of uh, activity that was not evident to me
1: well, has he come through to you personally ever uh, have you had uh, dreams, marina or have have you have you seen have you had a vision anything?
2: I, I um, well, particularly like the week that he passed away, I call, I'd say messages. Um, I mean, I, I have, you know, other psychic friends who came to me and astrologers and with their, you know, um, pointers and, and uh, information and whatnot. Um, but um, I, I look for clues like, you know, I was pumping gas a week before his funeral and the car in front of me was... Real dead, the license plate real dead, and it was a black car. My nickname was Blackie, and I, to me, that's a message that David was around. It was, it was continuous, and the, this guy at the Antenna's restaurant handing me a red rose, not knowing his name, and I knew this person for for years, but never knew his name. His name was David. Um, it was just things like that. So I know, um, and I feel that he, he still is around me, um, uh, in and out. Um, but, um, not so much, uh, re, you know, for the past, you know, year or something, but now every at a, at a anniversary I kind of feel like his presence every once in a while. So I, I look for those messages that I know it's between the two of us. And I've asked Michael about this, too. So they do tend to go off on their own, don't they, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> they kind of like, okay, I've had it here.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is that, else. you know, when you pass, you you got to go to this other side, and there's other things going on over there. And, they, you know, some people believe that you have to kind of embrace some pain here, learn, you know, what the lessons you learned, the stuff you didn't do, and the stuff you did do, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they say it's <clears these throat> really busy. It's not, you know, it's tough to be busy over here because it's really difficult for the people that are living because they can't let go. The the people that are past, it's difficult for them to go. And, you know, from what I understand, they kind of keep them limited to how many times they can show up. And, you know, I also know that time's a little different over there, too. They don't really have bullets over there, so they don't, you know, time's a little, little faster up there than it is here.
1: Right. Now, is he now gone, Michael? Or do you find that on an anniversary of a death that they're more likely to come through?
0: Well, it has, that has happened for me. Uh, you know, a lot of times people show up on anniversaries. And I don't know if because we're thinking about it so much that we're more aware of that or, or what. But uh, I know that that happens a lot. And, but with David, you know, I haven't seen him for a while. Every once in a while I feel like it will pop up only for a glimpse. But I really we haven't had a conversation forever. So I, I, I tend to believe that he's kind of they're working on him on the other side more than they are him being here. But I know he's got a lot of unresolved issues with people here, and I, I think he's as he's becoming more aware of some of the things that he did or didn't do, that he probably wants to make amends to some of those people, and or at least make them feel a little bit better. And and so sometimes they can do that. Sometimes they can come down and.
2: Which I've talked to Michael about for me. <laughs>
1: right, right. Well, let's, let's uh, Marina. What, what? Uh, it's a little difficult to understand, Michael, because of the cell phone situation. But what? Um, when, when David Carradine was still coming through, uh, did he have messages for you through Michael?
2: Other than he, w- he was sorry, um, um, and I go, yeah, it's a little too late, you know, um, but. Um, I have had David come to me in, in dreams, and it's always, you know, been um, very loving and and whatnot. And I, I, it's, it's rather disturbing to me because um, of all that happened and the divorce. But regardless of all the animosity and everything, I still I was still very much in love with him when we divorced. So it was difficult, but I, I that he was, you know, sorry, but not really able to, because of the situation, help. Me on, on you know, from his end here, like he was in limbo or something or, or what?
0: Yeah, it did. You know, his hands were tied a bit. And,
2: um, you know, I think he, he was
0: really aware hand. what he wasn't doing and what he could have done. And, and the opportunity that was there for him had he chosen a different path.
1: Sorry, Michael, I have to jump in because we can't, we can't really hear you at this point. Yeah, I'm sorry. That cell phone is uh, not doing the trick. Marina, do you have the sense that he's, on the other side, he's sort of tortured? Or and, is he resolving some things?
2: And not so much tortured in the sense that, with my understanding, because he put himself in that dangerous position. So he's kind of, I can't say immobilized either, but um, like he's not allowed to help. Like, you know, he's got to see what the damage he did. You know, I'm, I was always of the belief that, you know, when they cross over that no matter what, that they're always, capable of helping. So I am wasn't sure of my understanding of that. I definitely believe that he is sorry. And it's a few people that have told me that and um, does want to help. So uh, I, I choose to stay with that belief, you know, that, that he is helping in some way. But I haven't felt that kind of connection in a while. So that's what makes me think that he's um, kind of off doing other things. <laughs> right um
1: would you welcome yeah. would you welcome an um additional contact from him, or are you pretty much done at this point
2: uh oh no i would I would welcome additional contact <clears throat> yeah um uh you know I, sometimes i do uh, t- a talk out loud to him you know it's, you know it's like okay Johnny, you know <laughs> like that
1: was his real name you John did Arthur. this
2: and this is this is what I'm doing here now and and you owe me <laughs> but i I kind of do it with yeah somewhat of a laugh um but because I you know I do believe that he really truly was sorry for for you know crappy things that he did um, and um, uh, you know if they go into you know a, re- a review and want to want to do, wanna do um, right by the person so um,
1: if he has a life the, review that's going to be pretty tough do you believe that, if, that that's what, if you have a do you believe in that idea that when you're on the other side you get a, a life review? Uh, you sit down and you sort of review all the things that you've done in your life, and you have to sort of account for that.
2: I, I, yeah, I, I tend to believe that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. going to
1: be a long movie. And
2: <laughs> in, in, in David's case, a long, long movie. <laughs>
1: Just, have you um, are, are you have you given up on sort of the investigation, or are there still things to be, uh, to,
2: be to be learned? Um, I haven't given up on the investigation entirely, although it is definitely a closed uh, deal on the Thailand side. I I don't believe that surveillance footage will ever surface. Um, But, um, you know, even after I I wrote the the new edition, I met a couple people who had their encounters with David, and um, I oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Hmm. You know, and then I got, okay, and I'm going to let it go. <laughs> I, I, I think at some point, somewhere down the line, there will be more information to come forward, um, because I, I I feel he was done wrong by whatever that was, and I, I feel that that has to be revealed. Um, the, you know, for him to be put in the press like that, that it was by himself, like Michael said, he was like embarrassed and whatnot. That, that's not right. Um, um, that has to be rectified. I feel still, and right. that was part of my mission of doing the investigation too, and putting certain things in there. Did you get any um,
1: cooperation from the Carradine family?
2: Um, I did not reach out to them, and they did not contact me. I was really close with um, um, the younger brother Robert. Um, I was obviously very fr- friends with, uh, very friendly with with Keith as well, that um, it just, um, it, we didn't, st- for various reasons, there's no animosity or anything, but um, uh, it just, it, we didn't stay connected uh, after David passed away. And, um, which I felt very s- sad about um, because they were like brothers to me. So I, I, mo- I get emotional about that.
1: Were they appreciative um, of what you did for David, helping him sort of get back on track and, and resurrecting his, oh, his yeah. career?
2: Oh, oh, oh most, Definitely, they said, you gave us our brother back.
1: And, and they were
2: very grateful to, you know, about that. And they were very sweet to me. They, 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 you know, I have no complaints about the brothers at all. Uh, I just adored them. And, um, I feel they, they cared about me a lot. It just, you know, when, you know, Keith has his, had his divorce. I was friendly with the ex-wife. It kind of got awkward. I mean, stiff stuff happened. <laughs> um, but um, with uh, Robert and his family, that, that got a little weird with the wife, and uh, I was cut out of the um, family at that point after David died. And, and to this day, I don't know why she never wanted to talk to me again. So, um, so that remains a mystery, too. One of these days, I'll find out.
1: What's um, next for you, Marina? Any uh, upcoming uh, television roles that we should know about?
2: Uh, well, not immediately. I did a, a really fabulous film in Toronto called The Red Maple Leaf, uh, Chris Christopherson, and Mia Savio, Paul Servino and James Kahn, huge cast, and that we had a very nice role in that. So um, that is the most recent. I, you know, continue to audition and and um, have wonderful publicity clients. Alan Parsons for one, um, Scott Harris, and uh, do publicity for Michael too. So um, Sloan Bella, wonderful. So I, you know, got great eclectic, fabulous clients that I really enjoyed doing publicity for. So it keeps me busy in between.
1: <laughs> all right. In the meantime, we have David Carradine, The Eye of My Tornado, and that's available at Amazon. I'm guessing.
2: Yes, uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, all the e formats, ebook formats, Nick Kobo, um, Kindle print-on-demand, you name it, and you, you you can buy
1: it. <laughs> Terrific. All right, Marina, always a pleasure. We'll talk. Thank you so much for this. Michael Bodine, sorry uh, we couldn't connect a little better with the, with the phone. Growing Up Psychic from Skeptic to Believer, also available at Amazon. Thank you both. Thank you. When we come back, Nick Redfern, Men in Black, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Kids, and Dangerous Books. Stay with us. Thank you.